Football is right around the corner. Get in on the action with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. With the NFL returning, DraftKings is giving new customers $200 in free bets instantly when you bet $1 or more on any football game. Listen up because you don't want to miss this. Head to the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and place a bet of $1 or more on any week one game to receive $200 in free bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN to receive $200 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any football game and get a free shot at a million top prize with your first deposit. That's promo code THPN for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only, new customers only, minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required, one per customer, restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Season 4 of Process Potables. Never thought we'd be here. This is the first episode of the season, getting you all caught up on what's happened over the summer. We took a nice two-month break because I think everybody kind of needed it after what happened in the playoffs, and we are not really going to touch on that too much because it still hurts. Uh, And I just really am still not ready. I wasn't sure that I was even ready to do this. We talked about coming back, I think, two weeks ago or maybe a week ago and once it came to that day I was like no I'm I'm still not ready it still hurts but fortunately it kind of worked out where there is a ton to talk about immediately just from today uh, specifically and we have to recap everything from summer league to free agency to all those things so I have Steve with me as usual and we also are joined by a second-time guest, I believe, Austin Krell, Sixers beat reporter of the Painted Lines. You can find him on Twitter, at NBA Krell. And Austin, we go way back, and I know that it's been quite the journey for you to get that check mark. but you're there, buddy. You did it. I'm so proud of you. Thank you. It was, it was, it was funny. I was actually at work, and when I got it, I was very surprised. Um, and it, I, I was like, okay, this is really cool, but... Also, like literally, no one cares except for me that I got it. <laughs> Still, I was like, let's 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 regroup here. Let's not be dramatic about what this really means because it really means nothing at the end of the day. Yeah, but um, I, I, yeah. I I know it, it meant a lot to you, and that's fine, man. Like it's, you take the victories where you can get them. It's cool to see. Uh, right, so so that that's really awesome for you. Uh, you. You've been doing really really good work. You've come a long way. Uh, so we're really excited to have you. Thanks for coming on. No, thank you for having me. It's 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 been a, a long journey in in development from just a uh, a fanboy blogger into a someone who it would like to think they're respectable in some ways. Yeah. Um. So I definitely. Uh, it's been a journey. I'm definitely not at, at at. I'm I'm certainly at fault for the mistakes that I've made. Um. And you know, it's uh, it's 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 good to be here. Is is what I'll say. Awesome. Well, I'm glad to hear all that. Uh, you've definitely come a long way, and and I've I've noticed the growth, and I'm sure many have. So it's it's really really cool to see, and I'm glad you're taking advantage of the opportunity. Steve, 
talk to me about your summer, man. It's been a long time. People haven't heard from us. It's already September, so we're, I think, yes. our last episode, I actually think, may have been in June. I'm not even sure we recorded in July, so we may actually be more than two months removed from an episode. So fill everybody in on how your summer's been, man, before we I am possibly the- get sad. Yes, yeah, so I am the opposite of a blue check mark that uh, Austin got. I haven't been on Twitter really much at all this summer, especially the past two weeks, because it's just, you know, I have that love-hate relationship with Twitter that's starting to become more hatred. But, you know, um, other than that, you know, summer's been good because I haven't been watching a lot of sports and trying to enjoy life outside of sports, which which is weird. What the but, hell is you that? Know, I, um, a lot of walks with your dog and... Okay. That's nice. Binge watching TV because I don't like going outside because I always sweat every time I have to do something. So <laughs> well, it's been hot as hell, man. It's been hot as hell, and and unfortunately, and, every summer will be the hottest one uh, since the yeah. last one for the rest of your life, probably. Yeah, it's going to be miserable. But you know, Dan, I, I know you you love summer more than anyone I know. Oh, I'm yeah. kind of happy about fall because that means football's coming back. I'm not going to be as sweaty, <laughs> and it's. We are also a beer podcast, and this is my time with the Oktoberfest beer, so yes. um, that, I am very excited for that. That's the thing I'm most upset about with this. Uh, we're recording this during the, the tornado, so if there's any connection issues or anything, please bear with us. Uh, hopefully, we're going to be able to get through this. My mo- The thing I was most excited for was I, ha- I have all these new beers that uh, Matt brought me, our, our friend Matt, uh, Vegas Matt from Steady Picks, who works with me on there. And he brought me all these beers, and I was ready to pour two or three of them and really, you know, spend some time in this episode talking about the beer, but figured it was safer to leave everybody at home. So, unfortunately, not going to be the case. So, I uh, hope everybody's just got their got their water and everything they need to get through this. But because of the concerns uh, with the tornado and everything, I do want to try to to keep us moving through this. So, uh, real quickly, my summer has been fine. That's all I got. So... Summer for the Sixers, Summer League. The Sixers went 3-2. and two, And the main story, I think, for most Sixers fans, as it kind of was for the playoffs, too, as far as upside goes, was Tyrese Maxey. And it was fun to watch him in two games. And then you kind of you knew going into Summer League that he was potentially going to be that I'm-too-good-to-be-here guy. And he proved it really quick. Uh Awesome. We'll start with you. Give me your takeaway of Tyrese Maxey. It was only two games, but it was it was a pretty good look for him, and he showed a lot of things that it looked like he had been working on. the The story for him, even before summer league, was basically as soon as that heartbreaking loss to Atlanta happened in Game Seven, he was basically like, "I want to get back in the gym." And there were these reports that the team was like, "Hey, like you need to take a break," and he's like, "No." And then I think like that was on a. Sunday, I think, and that Friday, Thursday or Friday, he had the post about him already back in the gym. So uh, talk to me about what you liked about Tyrese Maxey, some of the uh, additions to his game you saw, and what, what you can take away from him in, in only two games and summer league games at that. Yeah, I think first, like, I've learned never to trust the Instagram story. Never to trust <laughs> the Instagram story. Never trust the summer Instagram posts. Well, ben Those Simmons taught us that over and That's over right. again. That's right. I, I, I've, I've been uh, my trust has been has, has been uh, used against me many times before. Um, so I think the thing about Tyrese Maxey that I was most impressed by was just because they were putting him through pick and rolls in the middle of the floor just endlessly. And it was it was good because that's what he needs to be doing. Um, 
he was rising and shooting with confidence, even though it wasn't going in. He was still shooting and leveraging that that shooting gravity that he needs to leverage. But what I thought was like the best part of it all was you actually saw his defender or a guard defender set up, set up to the, the the level of the screen and like contest him. And that's just a, an opening into the middle of the court that the Sixers fans and you know the team haven't been able to use or get much out of in this era because no one's coming up to the level of the screen really to 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 contest Ben Simmons. And so that I thought was just like a, a really interesting part of the game and quite frankly refre- refreshing, I would say, because imagine you put Embiid in that spot or you put Harris in, in that spot or, and you put a shooter in the weak side corner. Um, and that really opens things up to like, oh, an actual modern NBA offense. Um, so that was what I took away from him. Uh, he just looked super confident. And I think that's just the most important part um, is at the end of the day, believing in oneself, I think in, 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 not only in like this sport, but across like football and baseball, it's so incredibly important to have those moments where you're you're riding high because those are going to keep you level when you have those slumps. Yeah, he was aggressive. He he sought out threes. Uh, one thing the Sixers fans have been clamoring for, to your point, is more pick and roll in this offense. And clearly, when you have a initiator who doesn't shoot, it's difficult to run that kind of thing. So Max, he seems like the type of guy. That can do that. I'm glad that you did mention the fact that while he was aggressively hunting his shot, it wasn't going in because I feel like the the takeaway from Twitter and everything would be, you know, a highlight of him taking a step back three. And it's like, great. I'm glad he's willing. I like the aggressiveness. But he took 14 attempts in those two games and he shot just over 28% from deep. So yeah, it's not great. It's he's not willing to take And it's two games, whatever. He's willing to take it. And we see him constantly working on it. But we are going to need to see the efficiency results show up if he's going to continue to do that. But he shot 50% from the field and over 90% from the line. So the efficiency in the other areas, very nice. So I agree with everything you said. And I thought both ends of the court, he he looked very good. And I think kind of the same point, but a little bit different is when you have, when you are that guy and you kind of know you're too good to be there, I think it's nice to still see him take it seriously and not just kind of, show up and and go through the motions and that's what I think I took away the most was even though there could have been a part of him that said like hey like I shouldn't even have to go here he was like all right I'm gonna go I'm gonna ball out and then I have this obligation I think he had a a charity uh, basketball camp or something he ran he's like I'm gonna go I'm gonna handle my business I'm gonna impress everybody and then I'm gonna go do my off-season thing so I loved that for him um Steve thoughts on Maxi. Oh no, I I, I I liked what I saw. I think it's really encouraging the type of season he had last year. He obviously overperformed compared to where he was drafted, and for him to kind of go in a summer league, that's part of me feels like we almost have too high of an expectation because he was drafted. Was it twenty first? If my low twenties, yeah. So you know, but I mean, it's nice to see he was kind of you know as Austin said, riding that, you know, kind of high wave and just dominating. And there's, you know, there's two games were enough for me. Sure. It would have been nice to see him in the rest of the summer league, but I, I mean, we, we know what we're getting from Tyrese and unlike some other players on the Sixers, it's nice to see that, you know, he's working on areas of his game that are very important, you know, for the uh, future of the team going forward. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, two guys that two guys that people will be familiar with if if you follow the Blue Coats and and me and Austin go back to to starting our coverage eras with the Blue Coats. So we have a uh, soft spot for a lot of the guys here. But Sixers fans are are very well aware of B-Ball Paul, Paul Reed, and Isaiah Joe. Austin, talk to me about the takeaways you had for both of them. Everything about Paul Reed's great. Like his attitude's awesome. His he's at he's athletic. He can stretch the floor. Um, he's, you know, he's uh, the ability to protect the rim. He can incredibly guard in space, all like massive things. That's like, okay, perfect rotation player. What's the problem here? Um, the one thing that is probably a little bit concerning and even though, even though it probably happens in spurts, it's still something that would concern a coaching staff. I think is that sometimes he steps outside of his box of tricks a little too much and sure, the summer leagues a no pressure time, uh, and, and there's no there's nothing important to 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 pay in terms of repercussions if it doesn't go well, you know. So it's 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 a good time to to try those new things. But I asked him like after after one of the summer league games, you know, are you were you told by the coaching staff to, you know, go outside of your box and try new things, or were you told to sort of stick to what your role would be within the team? And he kind of and he said like, no, they told me to stick with what my role would be, which was which was surprising to me because there were like moments where he would get to the block and then he would decide to go ISO, and you're like, well, wait a minute, what, what's going on here? And he's trying to put a dribble move on, and then it's not pe- working out, and then his panic move is to just t- throw it off the backboard with his left hand, and you're like, well. That's not what you want to see because it, it kind of breeds like a can you trust this guy type question within your coaching staff, and that's not what you want. Um, but I think all in all, like, there's 100% he has to be a rotation player this year. Um, I think he'll be on a shorter leash than maybe you would like, but I still think he should be in the rotation. Um, Isaiah Joe, I was really impressed with. Uh, his, his knack for moving off the ball is is tremendous. Uh, he can shoot it from any spot, really. Uh I, I think the one thing that surprised me the most, which after I looked it up and did a little bit more research on it, uh, it, it, it kind of made sense, is that he's actually a, a fairly you know capable ball handler. That isn't to say that you're like, oh, this guy can be the backup point guard. But if you ever have a guy who you know rolls an ankle or foul trouble or early in the game, if you need someone to be that the panic button where you need someone to handle the ball, that could be Isaiah Joe for a couple possessions here and there. Um, I thought he did a good job of like – they were running. They were running double double drag sets in the middle of the floor, and he was using them, and then finding Paul Reed on the rim uh, on the dive to the basket. So, just little things like that, where like you know, this is where another another way you could use me. I have versatility in my game. That was huge. Um, he's a guy that just shoots on high volume, and I think that's what this team needs. Yeah, Paul Reed for me, I, I liked him on the defensive end. I felt like he was kind of being put in that that role the Sixers like, where he's the anchor, he was kind of calling things out, and that was something that obviously you weren't seeing from him on the main roster because he was usually out there in garbage time and often out of four, uh, sometimes like a small ball five. But I think you saw him being used in more of like a straight-up small ball five kind of role, which is something that people have been clamoring for for this team for a while. And obviously we'll talk about the signing of Andre Drummond and and how maybe that impacts it. But it, it'll be nice to see if they need to do that. I, th- I think he's a really good option for that. And it's it's great to see between him and Joe, and you could even say Maxi, but I think everyone's already kind of, if not fully on board, leaning toward Maxi maybe being closer to somewhat of a star potential. 
But Paul Reed and Isaiah Joe are just nice quality draft picks that are developing and seem like they can be, like you said, rotational players potentially where it seemed like this team just either was selling picks or missing time after time again. And these are the kind of picks that really help cap-strapped teams, teams that are contending and spending their all their money at the top of the roster. You need these guys to contribute. And just seeing these guys looking so confident, having a defined role, but also being able to do a little bit of everything. Like, we knew last season Isaiah Joe could shoot the three. And in very, you know, rare opportunities, he came in and did so. But to your point, he actually showed a decent amount of playmaking, of, of handle, of passing, and all these things that we weren't sure he was capable of. Granted, it's summer league, and it's, again, still just flashes, but it's there. And it's something that he can take into the season and continue to work on. With Paul Reed, like you said, you know, maybe he's trying to do a little too much sometimes, but it also is just because I, I think he knows how talented he is. And even with forcing it sometimes, he averaged over 17 points per game in the five games he played. He shot over 55% from the field and averaged 12 rebounds. So 17 and 12 from Paul Reed is a pretty impressive stat line, even if it's summer league, um, you know, just being out there for them. And the, the last guy uh, I want to talk about, and Steve, you can uh, lead us off here, but you can also get your thoughts in on, on Paul Reed and Isaiah Joe, is Jaden Springer. Uh, another, you know, low 20s pick for the Sixers in the first round. Uh, another guy that people think kind of fell down the board a little bit, um, and the Sixers were able to capitalize on that. Uh, seems like more of a defensive prospect to start. The offense might be a little shaky, but talk to me about all these guys and your takeaways from them. So Paul Reed, uh, well, I should preface this, that I didn't get to watch like, you know, all of the games, you know, from beginning to end. Uh, but I did get to watch like, you know, going to YouTube, like the nice 10 minute, you know, highlight packages. The thing that really stuck out to me with Paul Reed um, is that he seemed to be very cognizant on not where he's supposed to be defensively, but also everyone else. He seemed to be kind of directing traffic a a little bit, which is something really encouraging, especially and, you know, correct me if I'm or you think think I'm crazy, but I mean, he's definitely going to be like the number three center. Part of it's just the past few years, they haven't really had any depth behind Embiid other than like one, you know, solid backup. Like they haven't had been that deep beyond just, you know, a number two center. Um, but I think what's going to be nice is there's all these signs that show that he can kind of um, offset what, you know, Drummond won't bring, which is, you know, that that inside, you know, that low post presence uh, defensively. So I think that's really going to, uh, you know, hopefully pay some dividends and, you know, whether Embiid is injured or on a minutes restriction. Uh, I, I mean, you know, we, we might see some, you know, real nice uh, B-ball Paul minutes and hopefully we get, you know, what we see in summer league. I mean, Isaiah Joe, Joe, like you said, you know, he's, he's looked fine. Um, Jaden Springer, I kind of feel bad for the guy. Cause I almost feel like because we've had Tyrese Maxey la- last year and a couple of other second rounders, you know, playing very well. I almost feel like people have already too high of a ceiling from him. And, you know, he is a rookie. Um, you know, he's, he's definitely going to, you know, go through his emotions of just struggling a little bit out of the gate. I've even heard some people that maybe he could, uh, you know, fight shake, you know, with some minutes during a regular season, um, which, you know, at the end of the day, I, I really care about 
getting to the playoffs and, you know, neither of those guys are getting meaningful minutes, but, um, you know, I think some people kind of have this expectation that Springer was going to have like the very same kind of success and output and maxine, you know, I think that's kind of unfair, but, um, by no means am I giving up on them. I think there's definitely potential there. Yeah, I got really annoyed with people that were already trying to call this kid a bust through a few summer league games. It's absolutely ridiculous, yeah. and and I think that's a great point. I think that it, it's funny how the ebbs and flows go, where we have you know top draft picks, you know like a Jaleel Okafor who don't really pan out, and then once you do that, everyone's concerned about all your top picks for the next few years until you hit a few. So then. You know, you get you get a you have Markel Fultz as well in that breed, so you don't trust them. Then all of a sudden, you draft Matisse Seibel and Tyrese Maxey in the twenties, and it's like, oh man, like these guys are contributors. So now the the idea is that oh, any guy that they draft in the twenties is going to show up and, and start right away. Like these things are, are, are never a lock. It, it and it you have different purposes for when you draft these guys. Like you drafted Matisse Seibel as like a more mature guy that could come in right away and play defense. You knew exactly what he was. But you drafted Springer because right now your rotation's pretty locked in. Like you didn't draft him because you needed him right now. Because you do need to keep the pipeline going as well. It worked out that Maxi was able to be more immediate, but he wasn't drafted to be that either. It just kind of worked out that way. But Springer's a guy who has a lot of tools and a lot of potential, and he showed that in in the last two games specifically, where he looked a lot more comfortable. And I think especially the fact that. You know, this was really his first time with any of these guys. Like, it's going to take some time to, to gel because they really didn't get to play much together before that. And especially with all this COVID protocol and whatnot, like, it, it's really hard to even get guys together and for how long you can and where you can and what the circumstances are. So it, it, it's a whole thing. So I was happy to see him. I think that the biggest takeaway for Jaden Springer was the way that he moves his body on defense, the way that he stays in front of guys. He doesn't foul either. Like, for a guy that young, to be able to do that, and a lot of the guys he's going up against are guys that have NBA experience. They may not be starters or role players, but they are much better players than he played against in college, and he was able to right away lock up defensively, uh, defend penetration pretty well, and not foul, which is something that you know we've been seeing from a lot of guys the Sixers have, have drafted. Even Matisse, the, the biggest complaint for him on his defense has been some of the bad fouls that he has. I think that was the most impressive thing for Springer, the offense is going to be ugly, but again, you have time to work on that. And he's kind of like the the alternate version of Maxi, where Maxi came in and had a pretty decently polished offensive game. He's going to have to learn his defense. Springer comes in, he's the opposite. Decent, polished defensive game. Going to have to work on the offense, but I think that he probably has a quicker route to his offense being sustainable in the half court than like Matisse Seibel did. Granted, Matisse Seibel, a significantly better defender, but I think that Springer could probably get his offense to, you know, NBA serviceable level uh, faster than Matisse will because I still don't think Matisse is there. Uh, Austin, talk to us about Jaden Springer. Yeah, so I think those are all really good, uh, valid points and good, good points too. Um what I would say is like number one, anyone calling him a bust after summer league games is like you're, you, <laughs> you 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 don't really understand what summer league's about if you're calling a player a bust. I, th- I think uh, a fair thing to that too. Uh, I forgot to mention not to cut you off was I think everyone was just so mad from the playoffs that they just had to take their frustration out on somebody. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. this team has this team has as fractured all equity. It has, but like, <laughs> like see the future. Um, but I think like with Jaden Springer, so. 
yeah, stout defender, low center of gravity, small body, which the small body is is not a great thing typically because he's six four with a six eight wing. Um, so he's like he he he's a little small, right? But he's also not a point guard. He doesn't have point guard skills. So he's kind of stuck at the shooting guard's position, but he's not a great shooter yet. That should come with time, I think, because his I, I think if he's a worker like they say he is, then he'll just naturally get better and get more confident in it. Um, but being small allows you to have a lower center of gravity, which makes it easier for you to dig into other guards when you're defending, which is huge, hugely important. Um, I also thought that he had, he had abnormally quick hands and timed things well. So like he was able to create transition opportunities just by like sticking his hand in passing lanes or disrupting a ball handler. And that's, that's also huge. Um, having said that, as NBA ready as he is, is as a defender, the offensive game I think is probably years away from getting there. Maybe I'm wrong, but number one, just like his shooting mechanics on a shot to shot basis are not, are, are not like there yet. It, it looks different all, all from, especially from the three point range to inside the arc. It looks dramatically different, um, which is not something that you want out of a shooter. Number two, I just kind of felt like he, he plays a lot off of both feet, which it sounds like, okay, he's balanced and he goes up. That's good. But it also means that you're capping your athleticism as a, as a jumper because you're, 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 you're not driving yourself through the floor and building momentum. You're, you're jumping off of two feet. Um, so a lot of times he'll get caught in the air when he's trying to make a pass because he's jumping off two feet and then he turns the ball over. Um, he also just kind of looks like he has one move right now, which is to spin back to the middle of the lane and then throw up a Hail Mary from the, from like 15 feet, which to his credit, he made at a, at like a kind of a crazily high clip in college. Um, but I don't think it really matters, right? Because like you guys said, he's not re- ready for the NBA yet. I think the intentions of why they drafted him are exactly what you laid out and that they already kind of had a set mind of what the rotation was going to be and they didn't need a guy who was ready to come in immediately and play so maybe that's a guy that you'd bring along and you develop and once shake milton says i need more money than this and they can't and they, they decide well we, we don't want to pay you we'll let you walk or we'll do a sign and trade here and you know we'll take our chances of the remaining two years on the rookie deal for Jaden Smear. i think that's something that, that they could do um so you know i, I do think that's like a valid point that you raised about them having success with the late first round picks as important as it is to 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 capitalize on those guys. I mean, for God's sakes, the Raptors were like they were headed by besides Kawhi Leonard, besides Kyle Lowry, they were headed by a, a, a late first round pick in Pascal Siakam. They were you know, their, their defensive stalwart in the lane was a second round pick in Marcus All. I think he was at least. Maybe I'm wrong about that. But um, Fred Van Vliet was a 50s pick. I think maybe undrafted even so capitalizing on those cost controlled assets is, is critical. That doesn't mean that every guy is going to be ready to go immediately. And it's a reflection of the fact that he was probably drafted in the right spot, maybe a little high for my tastes, but I still think that just because you have two guys that panned out well beyond expectations, does that mean that every guy is going to be like that? And so you need to be, be patient. Yeah. And, and I don't, I don't expect him to to contribute much for for most of if not any of this season but the one thing that uh, I did find interesting with him and I, again just t- unfortunately tying everything back to the playoffs because my brain is broken he does seem like a pretty decent defensive matchup for a Trey Young type 
And I wonder yeah. if that and I wonder if that was in their head that we're gonna have to deal with this guy for a long time. So let's see if we can find somebody else we can throw at him. You know, obviously understanding the Ben situation and they drafted him before it all went to hell, which we're gonna get into. Um, yeah, Marcus Ol was a was a second round pick, and uh, Fred VanVleet was undrafted. So you, you had those right. Um, so the rest of the offseason stuff. So you know, no, nothing too flashy, but basically running it back with with a little extra depth, in my opinion. So as far as free agency, go and get Andre Drummond on a vet minimum, two point four million. They signed George Niang. Uh, I think that's the part of the mid level exception, right? Two years, six point seven million. Yeah, they're like two point six away from being at the the, the non taxpayer mid level, which they could get there, but it would hard cap them and make a damn trade or any trade for that matter, like it ridiculously harder. So they, they 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 still have they use the most of the t- taxpayer mid level minimum for Andre Drummond. And I think they they had a uh, trade exception for Horford, so I think that expired now. Right, we're past that date. I believe so, or, or maybe it, it might be the end of this week. And I, I was I I had heard from a couple different people that they were looking at Ronda, which. I reported it, and then obviously went back and blew up my face because he signed with the Lakers the next day. But um, he would have fit right into the to the trade exception, so I think that was probably some interest there. But I think generally, just trade exceptions, you rarely it's like it's kind of like the perfect marriage if you do get a guy because it just fits so perfectly. But if most of the time, you just don't get the most out of that. Yeah, it's it's not on it's not uncommon to to have that just end up expiring uh they re-signed danny green which seemed very unlikely at a certain point uh it sounded like he'd be back and then there are a lot of reports that he was entertaining the idea of going elsewhere they get him back uh two years 20 million total so a, a nice deal for him and then most importantly as everybody knows furcon Korkmaz is back three years 15 million my guy i'm so happy there were reports uh that cleveland was interested in him and Cleveland's entire offseason has been super weird, and it it honestly makes me really happy he didn't end up there because I, I don't understand what's happening. But So Danny Green and Furkan Korkmaz, we, we already understand where they fit in with this team. They'll probably uh, assume the same exact roles they had last year. I do think that the Korkmaz deal does kind of lock him in for like consistent bench minutes, which was kind of up and down this season. He did get a decent chunk uh, toward the end and played uh, a good amount in the playoffs. But I think he's going to really get slotted into a more consistent role, which I think will be good for him. Uh, I, I know it's my bit, but in all reality, I just think that the ups and downs of his career to this point have really messed with him, and we know how streaky he can be. So I think if now he knows, all right, I, I got paid, I know I'm here, and a, a role is actually carved out for him, then I, I think you'll see – a little bit more consistency. Does that mean that you'll get all the, you know, highest highs? No, but I think, you know, maybe we'll stop hearing about how he can't make two free throws in a row, uh, which is valid, but uh, I, I, it's a very, it's a very odd phenomenon that he can't make two. It's like, it's very bizarre. He can't make two in a row, but he still shoots like 70 something percent, which the math doesn't add up. Yeah. (laughs) But it makes no sense to me. um, I think that the, the question I have here, um, and Austin, you can help me out with this, is we just talked about B-Ball Paul, and you talked about him needing to be in the rotation. But with Drummond and Niang, it, it kind of seems like they both kind of create a, a uh, bump in the road for him. So how do you kind of see that playing out? Do you think that he might get, like, an early shot, or do you think that one of that Doc Rivers, especially seeming like he is more of a veteran kind of guy, is going to give those guys the chance and then 
uh, they're probably going to have to play their way out of minutes and Bebo Paul play his way in potentially. So I think this is a good way of like making this point is that as good as the, the young guys looked in Bebo Paul and Isaiah Joe and Tyrese Maxey, none of this really matters if Doc's going to maintain the same ideas that he's maintained right. this, this past season and in previous seasons and that I'm going to rely heavily on my veterans. Um, I was kind of surprised they went the route of Andre Drummond, but after all, I think it's very hard to lose a minimum deal. Like you, like you're paying the guy the minimum. He's basically like it's you couldn't have paid him any less than that. So, um, in that sense, like I think he could only if he plays well, great. You got him for not for basically nothing. And if he plays plays badly, okay, we could have signed somebody else for the minimum. Um, but it doesn't fit their what they were looking for. You are right, and I think that's sort of Daryl's way of trying to force Doc into playing uh, B-Ball Paul at, at the five and and like saying, like, I'll give you a veteran, but he is eventually going to get, play, get played off the floor. Right. And I'm not getting another stretch five because you're going to play him instead of Paul. Some time comes, you're going to have to play this guy one way or another. But I will get you a backup just in case. Um, and I think the Niang deal, like Niang struggles in the playoffs, but if you if you like put his, his volume with three-point shooting – and you extrapolate it to like a, a, an increased volume over 36 minutes. He's like attempting a crazy number of threes, making them at a high clip. Um, I think he's a stretch four, so he'll fit right in there, really, in terms of what they need. Um, he just can't defend fives. Like he's not athletic enough, um, and that's going to limit him in terms of where he fits into like on the on the floor because he can really only fit into one or two kinds of lineups. Um, so. You know they'll they'll have him there to back up Tobias because and you know and he'll be in the Mike Scott role which thank God that's over with. <laughs> um, that was oh my God. Um, but I still think like ultimately this all comes down to Doc having to um, you know use his young resources and trust his young guys more than he has in the past. And I'm sure they've had conversations about that because it's impossible to ignore. Um, and and I. I I just, I just kind of get the, get the feeling like they, they didn't really have much to work with anyway, right? I mean, they didn't have cap space. They had the mid-levels. They had the minimum deals. There wasn't going to be, like, incredible groundbreaking change to this team outside of the Ben Simmons trade. So I thought they emerged. They re-signed Danny, which I thought was incredibly important. Yep. Even though, like, even though the fans don't like, don't like him right now because of what he said, um, I still think, like, he was an incredibly important part of this team. And they would have taken a major step back with it if they had lost him. And I do agree with you. I was kind of surprised that he came back, especially because like there was, there were some rumors that not only were the other teams involved, but he um, was not in love with the fan base beyond, beyond what he said, but that's a different story. Yeah. Um, but getting him back was massive. They upgraded the backup four position. They got, they basically traded backup centers at the Lakers. Uh, so, I think all in all, they've emerged on paper as a slightly better team, but not enough where you're going to be like all warm and fuzzy when 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 it's game one, Wells Fargo Center again. Yeah, the Drummond signing I actually really liked. I mean, I know it's it's in the past at this point, and his best days are probably behind him, but he's still a 28 year old two time All Star that you're you're paying the vet minimum for, and I really liked Dwight uh, a lot actually, and I thought he would come back, but I do think that over the course of, like, an 82-game season that, like, you probably will 
over the span of it, get better production from Andre Drummond for the most part. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I don't have a good reason for that, but I just kind of believe it because Dwight just had so many infuriating moments and especially some of the bonehead attitude stuff. And, you know, Drummond's not the most calm collective guy either. Um, but I think that he might be a little bit more well-behaved than Dwight at this point because uh, Dwight can do whatever he wants at this point. One, there will be a market for him, and two, he's already made so much money and got all the accolades and stuff that he's really just title-chasing. Drummond's gotten paid, but again, he's only 28, and now he's making vet minimums. Like He still kind of has something to play for. He could potentially play himself into you know one more contract, if not two, like decent contracts if he can get it right so i think there's a little bit more motivation for him which i think is nice the niang deal uh i feel like he's another one of those guys that the fan base who doesn't watch games other than sixers games sees highlights of sees twitter clips of sees advanced stats of and says oh my god i want that guy so bad and you're gonna watch him for the first two months and you're gonna be so pissed off and he's going to do so many things that you don't like. And other than shooting, I don't think he brings that much to the team. And you need the shooting. And he's definitely an upgrade over Mike Scott. But I just can't wait for 30 days into the season for half the fan base to turn on him. Because it's coming. I promise you it's coming. And it says something about the fan base, but it also says something about you know what kind of player he is. Like, he's fine. He's a bench piece. I don't have any issue with the signing, but... Uh, I, I just think he's he's another one of those guys that once once he's here and people see him for entire games, they're going to be like, ah, shit, here we go again. You know, it's it's funny too, Dan, because uh, when I was reading up on him, apparently he has this nickname, uh, the minivan, yes. which I I I don't know, like I, I don't have too many positive uh, correlations with minivans, so I I'm very curious where that came from. Um, but I, I agree with what you guys said. I mean, you know, listen, he's being brought in to shoot. Um, the thing that does worry me is that he's coming from a Utah Jazz team that was one of the best at pick and rolls offensively. Um, not that this is probably going to happen at this point, but, I mean, let's say we start the season with Ben Simmons. Um, you know, he's going to be in a completely different, um, you know, offense. You couple that with, if he is expected to play small ball, uh, small ball five minutes, which he hasn't really done in the NBA, I have a feeling, to your point earlier, Dan, that he might get really overwhelmed and people are just not going to like him because he's going to be possibly into completely different situations on both sides of the court. And I could see uh, you know, fans quickly reacting to that when they see that. If you want to know the story about the minivan, there was an interview that he had where he said that he was the minivan to Donovan Mitchell's Ferrari. So that's where the, the nickname comes from. Fun fact. That's like super bizarre to me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't know, but that, that's what it is. That, so he has more space and uh, gas mileage? Yeah. Um, yeah I mean, you know, Do- Donovan Mitchell's a sports car, and he, he's the minivan. He's, he's the, the family caravan vehicle, I guess. I don't know, yeah, man. I mean, like, oh, look. wait, so great. The last Sixer. Guess who's the last Sixer that liked minivans? Hmm. Jimmy Butler. Yeah. Mm, I'm not liking this guy already. <laughs> Which, by the way, apparently all that was, like, very fake. Really? I, so like the Jimmy I'm, I'm Butler aspect of it? I don't, I don't know if to be true. It's just been rumored. But, like, I, I've heard stories where he, like, 
he does that by game, to, like when the cameras are on, and then as soon as he's like in his privacy and like away, he's like driving around in, in significantly nicer cars than that, which I don't blame him for. But well, yeah, sure, of course. I mean, I'm sure he, I'm sure he doesn't just do that. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I don't really care about Jimmy Butler at this yeah. point. But yeah, uh, well, f- funny thing because there there is a correlation to Jimmy Butler here, I guess. So that works out. the The only other thing I kind of had on here was to talk about there was the Keith Pompey tweet about it was like a Black Friday thing where a bunch of Sixers staff and everything got laid off, fired, whatever you want to call it. But the, the name that came up the most was equipment manager, Scott Rigo, uh, who had been with the Sixers for 34 years. And most fans, if they even recognize his name will most likely remember him from the Jimmy Butler year because there was that video about how Jimmy Butler's pregame routine was to come in and tell him to quote, get the fuck out of my chair. Yeah. So it's the playoffs. Stop fucking around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so Austin, we we talked about this before uh, we started recording, though. But uh, you know, t- talk to us about Scott Rigo, and and more importantly, like what people don't understand about you know that equipment manager position, and how and how you know vital that is, and how that may be uh, you know kind of a bigger deal to some of the players, at least specifically, than uh, a lot of people are probably making it out to be. Yeah. So. I would say that when you're someone of that tenure where you're there for like 35, whatever years, um, the equipment manager is oftentimes much more than like the stereotypical jagging, like laundry loads full of, of, of sweaty jerseys to the washer. Like that's, that's I'm sure part of the job to some extent, but it's much, much bigger than that. Um, they're often like the ones that when you go on the road, they kind of help coordinate family stuff and, 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 and take care of that. They are often the guys who, you know, younger players will seek out, you know, uh, will will seek out to like go to for like to, to just talk about stuff or for advice or whatever. Um, and so I, I think that that's something where, sure, we uh, the the general public who isn't as familiar with that relationship or really what the equipment manager does um, overall might just brush it off and say you can hire a different one like it's what's the big deal here you can, that's true you can but there's also relationships that I think are that are there that you can't just replace and um, it, it wouldn't surprise me I haven't heard this for a fact so I, I don't want to say anything but it wouldn't surprise me if there are guys there uh, on the on the team that were like this is BS like like Scott was the Scott was the boy um, so you know it's interesting Um I, I don't know who was the the head honcho there. It wouldn't shock me if the ownership was like, "Yeah, we're gonna do this, but we want Daryl. We want you to take 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 the you know the the the, the spotlight here." And you know he just complied as part of the job. I, I don't really know that's the case. It's just one theory that I have. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think it's like as simple as that. You can just replace an equipment manager. I think they are on the personal side of things a, a much more critical part. Of, of the operation than given credit for. Now, a lot of people and kind of understandably so, but also kind of just jumping to conclusions immediately jumped at Josh Harris's throat for all these, you know, axing, so to speak. Do you think that this is, you know, more of an, was it an ownership cost cutting thing? Or do you think this is more of a regime thing? Cause it seemed to come out kind of, you know, a little bit after the Pompeii tweet that, you know, maybe it wasn't necessarily so much a budget thing as, a uh, Daryl Morey kind of bringing in, 
his own kind of crew thing because there was still a lot of leftovers from previous regimes. Like, do you think it, you know, leans one way or the other, or is this just kind of, you know, business maybe? I think, well, like, so they cut, they, 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 they got rid of Matt Lilly um, and among some other names there. I mean, they're going to replace those positions because you can't just not have scouts. Right. You can't just not have, um, you know, a, a GM for your, for your G league team. Um, you, you, I'm sure they'll probably, they might just put somebody in like the, the equipment manager position that Scott was in and just say like, this is an additional duty, um, for you, but like, we're not like, you know, it's part of what you do regularly. So I don't know if they'll replace that, but they'll probably replace, you know, they're going to have to replace scouts. But my, my guess is probably this is somewhere in between a, a cost cutting thing to pay people, you know, to, to cut down on salaries and what you owe. Cause you can just hire you, you sure you owe a severance package to your employees, but also like you can, then pay their, your new guys less than yeah, that. Yeah, 34 yeah. years at equipment manager, you probably were making pretty significant money at that point. Uh, so you bring in a new guy, you can start them at the base level. So, I mean, I kind of get that. It's it's kind of scummy, but I get it. Right. I mean, I think like, we can't neglect the fact that Daryl was brought into this and everything was like preordained for him. He had the coach there before him, even though I think Doc was critical to, to Daryl coming. Um, he, you know, Doc, Doc was there before he was. Um, you know, the, all the, all, a lot of the higher level executives were there before he was a lot of the staffers be, below him were, were there before. So that could just very well be Daryl, you know, getting his guys in, in there and, uh, you know, reshaping that way. Steve, any thoughts on this before I move on to some, uh, Vegas stuff? The, I just hope that, you know, like I know the equipment manager being there for over 35 years, I mean, you know, we're, we're not going to know everything behind the curtain. I just, for regardless of the reason, I just hope they took care of that dude with a pack, you know, nice severance. Uh, you know, for all we know, maybe he was closer to retiring or something like that. And, you know, especially with how the world and the economy has been the past year and a half, I just, you know, for whatever reason they decide, just hope they took care of that dude and the other uh, people they let go. Cause it's not like they didn't have, they don't have the financial resources to do so. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, all right. So some quick hits up before we get into the Ben Simmons thing, which I'm sure will be a, a whole ordeal. Uh, some NBA future stuff uh, via DraftKings. So Vegas has the over under for wins for the Sixers at 50 and a half. Steve, I'll start with you. You like the over or under on that at this point? Uh, 50. I, hmm. I want to say over, and it's going you know it's going to be like fifty one or forty nine the way it ends. But yeah, I, it'll be the over, I think. Austin, under. I'm pretty confident it's going to be like I, I would guess probably forty eight is, is where the, is where they'll sit. Yeah, I'm I'm on the under as well. I'm concerned because at this point, especially as of today, it sounds like there's no chance Ben plays. So either he sits out, and you have a completely wasted resource, or you trade him for significantly less and that makes you worse than last year you also have to figure that Embiid is going to miss time and any other potential mitigating factors at this point so it seems like the best case for them is barely over this number and I don't expect the best case to happen for this team and that's definitely a little bit doomer mentality but it's also generally par for the course for them um, I would be very impressed if they won 50 to 51 games this year I'd yeah, be very impressed I, I agree uh, they have the seventh highest title odds at plus eighteen hundred. 
So when you look at the rest of this league, I mean, you got to you figure Milwaukee, Milwaukee and Brooklyn in the East are definitely ahead. The Lakers, yep. the Suns probably just via repeating. Um, the Jazz, so that's five teams right off the top of my head that would be ahead of them. Probably the Nuggets. Uh, I think I think that's the sixes. I think the Nuggets are in there too because I know the Clippers yeah. are below them, which seems weird, but they are. Um, yeah, and I don't think cool. anyone else in the East is ahead of them. Does that seem right to you guys, or do you think that? Uh, like, we'll start with you, Austin. Do you, do you think that they deserve to be the seventh highest favorite for the to win the whole thing? I'd probably argue a little bit lower. Was was Denver in front of them? You said I believe Denver's in front of them. Yeah, I'll, I mean that would be one that I'd argue with, but I also think that like you could argue that the Heat should be ahead of them. But I think the heater is way too top heavy and like they're starting five and then their depth is is at this point what? Um, so I, I I think you could seven, eight is probably where, where they sit, and I think that's probably fair. Steve. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I think seven is just the right number. It seems like everything that I've read so far and seen, everyone's really, really high with Brooklyn. You know, given that their big three is going to be, uh, you know, healthy and having a, you know, whole training camp and summer together. So I think um, with all the teams you guys just mentioned, I, I think that I think they're right in the you know, right spot for that. I, I actually I, I completely whiffed on when the Warriors are ahead of them. The Warriors are fourth. So it's Nets, Lakers, oh. Bucks, Warriors, Suns, Jazz, and then the Sixers and then the Clippers and Nuggets are tied with each other behind the Sixers. I would have the Sixers behind both of them. I don't think the Warriors are like winning a title with. with no, I mean I agree. Yeah, that's a whole other thing. I don't think that they really deserve to be all the way up there. But again, because you have Steph Curry, they're they're going to automatically put you somewhere up there. Yeah. I get it, but yeah, it's not it's not going to happen. They don't have the firepower. And the the only other thought would be they're expecting them to make a deal, uh, which they could. Um, but that's a whole lot of speculation to have odds that good. Um, Embiid is tied for second to be uh, as far as highest odds to win MVP. He's tied with Kevin Durant. Luka Doncic is the favorite. Steve, do you like his? his do you think that he could be in the MVP running again? Do you think that he I, should be I, even with Kevin Durant? I, I think he can. I mean, it, it could be him going head to head with Kevin Durant. I mean, Luka. I mean, there's just part of me that, for whatever reason, maybe he hits. He has a bit of a slop, uh, sophomore slump starting off. I mean, he, you know, did play through the Olympics, and you know, he, he he's a young guy. Maybe teams figure him out a little bit. Um, and you know, with this Ben Simmons situation, we're we're not going to know exactly what's going to happen. But you know, more than ever, you know, Embiid's just going to have to step up, and you know, maybe he makes another, you know, albeit smaller step, and you know, wins the thing or or, or gets really close. What, what what would a third year slump be like? Junior jitters is that is that what we'd say he has? This is his Doncic's third year for the record. So it could oh, this, be oh, third sophomore year. slump. Yeah, junior jitters. I like that. Like that. Yeah, okay, we'll go with okay, that. Okay, we're going with that. Austin, your thoughts yeah. on Embiid being uh, tied for second to win MVP? I would certainly put him lower than that. Um, just because, like, the the award is just absolutely so narrative based um, mm-hmm. and storyline based. Like last year, Embiid should have absolutely won it. But because the storyline was like, oh, Jokic was like as good as if not better than him on the offensive side of the court, despite not playing a lick of defense. He also played all the games that you like he needed to play. 
So therefore, Jokic is the clear-cut best two-way player, and he's the MVP. And it, you know, it was it, it's all it's all narrative-based. Luca, I would guess, is probably the favorite for yes. a fair reason because he'll probably win it. Um, I don't think I think Joel's best chance was this past season probably to win the, to win it. I agree with that too. And what's crazy to me, Jokic is tied for seventh with LeBron, uh, which I think is way too low. Uh, but here, here's the thing. It's interesting you bring up the narrative thing because here's here's the one thing that kind of leads me to think that he could have it. Here's the narrative for Joel Embiid. Ben Simmons leaves, and they're still as good, and he puts up same, if not better, numbers without the guy that everybody was saying you know was the number two option next to him. So if you do need a narrative for him, it's he puts up, that same kind of season with Ben Simmons out of the picture and then gets all the more credit because there, there were, you know, obviously Ben's shortcomings being what they are. There were still a lot of people who would say, Oh, well, you know, Joel Embiid has all this talent around him and he, and he's, and he's having this success. And a lot of the conversation for other guys ahead of him was always, Oh, well, they don't have the same supporting cast. So if Embiid does it with a little bit less of a supporting cast, then maybe that actually uh, puts him, Closer to winning it, but I I agree. I I still don't think I'd have him here. I think Durant would have to be ahead of him. I think Giannis would have to be ahead of him. Uh, I even think that Jokic could should be around the same as him, if not, you know, maybe right right ahead or right behind. So, um, last one, and it'll lead us into talking about Ben Simmons here. Ben is second for Defensive Player of the Year. He is neck and neck with Rudy Gobert. Gobert is the favorite at plus three forty. Ben is plus three fifty. Basically the same exact odds. Austin, do you think that now that he already came in second, which a lot of people had said, like you kind of have to get there to then usurp the throne, so to speak. Do you think that now that he did that, that puts him in position for defensive player of the year, especially if he goes somewhere else and, and, and does it in a different market and proves that you know, he is that capable? Yes, I think it probably is the right spot for him to be in just because if he goes to a team like Minnesota, who, who is like mind bogglingly terrible on defense last year, um, and they like take a sizable jump forward, like let's say to the top half of the league, you're going to ha- he's going to be right in the middle of the conversation. Um, so I, I think those are probably pretty fair odds, Steve. Yeah, no, I agree. They're definitely fair odds. And listen, it, all, all signs seem to indicate that. You know, most likely Ben Simmons is going to the West Coast and Ben might be playing him one or two times, you know, more a year. And we discussed earlier as far as narrative with the uh, MVP. I mean, they're, you know, that can uh, be the case to an extent with defensive player of the year. And I definitely agree with Austin. If if he has that same, um, you know, defensive output he's had here since his career and helps a team move up in the standings or make the playoffs. I mean, that, that could be enough to, you know, finally get it for him over Gobert. Yeah. As, 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 sorry to cut you off, Dan, um, but it's probably also a good point. You mentioned about pay, playing an additional two times per year. Like he is going to play in the West in theory. So he's going to be playing all of the teams that are featured on national TV all the time, twice as often. Right. So yeah. I probably get more exposure on national television, even if it's Timberwolves. I still think he'll inevitably get more exposure, and therefore that'll help him probably. Yeah, and I mean, out west, think of all the matchups he's going to have. He's going to match up with LeBron. He's going to match up with Luca. He's going to match up with Paul George and or Kawhi. So there's there's a lot. He's going to match up with Donovan Mitchell. There's there's a lot of uh, you know 
primetime matchups for him to take advantage of out there instead of, you know, sitting back and defending the Magic or the Hornets or the Knicks. So uh, there may there may be a lot more opportunity for him to to shine in those kinds of matchups too. So I definitely agree. I, th- I think this this could be the year for him, but I I would be weary to bet on on anything to do with him until I know where he is. Uh, I think the fact that they have him that high speaks to his talent, but uh, if it was me, I I probably would be weary about putting my money anywhere when I don't know where he's going yet. So I think that that's probably something to wait on uh, if it's something you're interested in. But let's dive into this Ben Simmons. You might want to hammer the over of him attempting threes. (laughs) Probably not. (laughs) I've given up on touching that whenever it's become available. It's absolutely felt like a trap, and and I'm done, and I refuse to acknowledge it. And uh, if, if these sports book apps have any integrity, which we know they don't, um, except for our sponsor, DraftKings, uh, they will they will not even you know, entertain the idea of those things anymore and have people burn their money. There's, there's enough ways to lose money that you don't have to do it that way. So, Ben Simmons, we, we've gone through this entire summer. Obviously, right after Game 7, there was a lot of concerning discourse, whether it be from Ben, whether it be from Doc Rivers, whether it be from Joel Embiid, about how Game 7 and, in general, that series went. There was a lot of talk about Ben being quote-unquote thrown under the bus, so to speak. Ben got very defensive about how he performed and started throwing out his assist numbers when he was talked about his offensive aggressiveness and things of that nature. But the the story has developed over you know two-plus months now of, okay, there was a little bit of a tear in the relationship, and then, oh, you know, it's fine. It seemed like Embiid tried to you know, walk things back a little bit and say all the right things a few days later. Doc Rivers did the same thing. And it sounded like, hey, the there's the idea that it's finally time for a change, but it didn't feel like it was something that they were necessarily going to have to force. And then reports started coming out that he, he would sit out, but it still wasn't completely sure. There were reports that he wasn't communicating with anybody on the team, but then Danny Green came out and said he talked to him. Tyrese Maxey came out and said he talked to him. And again, you get conflicting reports, so you don't know. And yesterday, Keith Pompey officially reports that Ben Simmons tells Sixers Brass he no longer wants to be a Sixer and does not intend to report to training camp, according to multiple sources uh, via the Philly Inquirer. There were also reports from, uh, I'm, I'm going to call him Jason Dumbass for the rest of this episode, because there are reports uh, from him that Tyrese Maxey would be forced into any Ben Simmons trade because they share the same agents, which was walked back this afternoon. And it was reported then that Tyrese Maxey is excited about the upcoming year with the Sixers, as is Rich Paul and the Sixers. Paul does not want Tyrese out of Philly. However, the Ben Simmons situation is totally separate. Uh, There was another tweet in there about Tyrese planning community events and those being canceled. It, It all sounded like complete crap and it ended up being crap and and I, I it pissed me off a lot but so basically we, we've progressed from hey it doesn't seem like it's working out and everyone's kind of unhappy to okay now you force their hand and so awesome my, my first question to you is we knew from the jump that even if it was just the idea of trading him that the value wasn't great and that you're probably gonna take a loss on the deal a little bit but all these new reports and him making it official that he will not show up, do you think that that hinders it more? Do you think that it's it's more narrative and that the you know the value is still kind of the same because he is still you know a twenty four year old all pro 
who's under, you know, a, a pretty friendly deal relative to what a lot of guys make in this league for what they do. Um, you know, how do you think this impacted that value if you if you think it did at all? So I think like the easy answer is like, yeah, like this isn't good for the situation and it's not good. None, none of this is good. Um, I wrote this yesterday, but I, I don't care like what Ben Simmons or like what clutch sports tries to do. Um, at the end of the day, they're contractually obligated to not play for another team until the Sixers trade them. So they can't do anything right. They can hold out. They can, you know, they can do whatever, but they can't force a bad trade. Um, and if, a bad trade does go through, then that's not really on th- them, you know, playing their strings that they have. Um, it's more about the Sixers just giving in and saying, like, we want to be done with this. So I think the leverage still lies in Philadelphia because um, they have the time on their hands. If Ben wants to sit out four years, so be it. He sit out four years and, you know, whatever. Um, and sure, that's not, like, a feasible and, like, good solution for either side, but neither is just, like, washing away your last trade asset for a, a discount. And I mean, sure, like you're not going like, to – everyone's saying, like, I never understood the the Damian Lillard or the Bradley Beal stuff. Like you can't even get De'Aaron Fox for him. Yeah, but you're for missing the big part where one of those guys requests a trade out. The only way you're going to get them is if they also want to be out of their current situations, which right. is, as we've seen, increasingly possible. Um, now it might take extra time, might be a while, but it's still very possible. And then when those moments arrive, you struck. Um, and that's really the Sixers way, their ticket out of this situation in, in, in being victorious in it is to wait for that moment. It's going to be painful. It's going to be ugly for everybody. But if you want to make the most of this and continue to, 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 to maximize Embiid's prime in this window, that's how you have to approach this. You have to be patient and you're willing to let it get ugly, but that's how you have to go about it. Because um, the second you trade him for 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 scraps, it's over. Like you, there, 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 There's no window anymore. It's done. You you know, Embiid's uh, can, just tied to here now for six more years, but what 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 reason does he have to not request a trade at that point if, if the window is closed like that? Um, so they have to maximize every bit of this trade um it's going to be tough tougher than it had to be but they simply can't lose especially if one of those two guys comes available steve yeah i agree uh what you said also one thing that does uh you know give me hope is that the two names you know that are keep coming up are beal and dame and I think, you know, we're all in agreement. Everyone, you know, wants Dame and Beal would be a really great, you know, uh, you know, number two option. What gives me hope is that, you know, you look at last year with Kyle Lowry's situation. He, you know, he was in a Toronto team that just wasn't competing anymore. They were, you know, ready to rebuild. But Kyle Lowry seemed to kind of handle that from the time before the deadline to before he got traded to Miami. You kind of handle it with class. And I think that's because he's been with that organization for so long. He won a title with them. And, you know, he's like, you know what? Like, I want to leave, but I kind of want to do right, you know, for the team I'm leaving and going to. Um, And maybe there's a little bit of that with both Dame and Beal, where they both, obviously neither of them won titles, uh, but they both, been with those teams for uh, an incredibly long time 
And, you know, for all we know, they already, you know, requested a trade, but they're just kind of waiting their time. They know it's not a matter if, if one and something will eventually uh, come to fruition. So I, I hope that we kind of have that in a trade partner of, you know, getting that kind of player, knowing that those teams are likely going to look to do a somewhat of a rebuild with Ben Simmons coming their way. Um, I'm going to be so pissed if, you know, one of these bullshit, you know, trades involved in Minnesota or the Kings have, you know, go through if the Sixers just kind of give in to, you know, Rich Paul and Ben Simmons demands, you know, you know, getting them out of here. I mean, I don't think they have the leverage that they think they do. But yeah. that's what also scares me is that, oh, my God, like we're going to get them to uh, Minnesota for whatever in return and a bunch of draft picks that, like you said, Austin, like if, if we don't get a player better than Ben Simmons and, you know, if that includes whatever ass- assets, you know, that we have, so be it. But if we don't get, you know, a better player than like the window's done, it's closed. So that's kind of you know, my fear. And obviously it's going to go one of two ways. There's no middle ground. We're like, yeah, we'll get some okay players. We'll be competitive. We'll maybe be just as good. Like, I think it's either going to be, you know, disastrous or, incre- you know, take us to the next level. And unfortunately when it comes to these superstar traits, that that's just what happens. So I've been trying yeah. to figure, sorry, go ahead, Austin. Cause I'm going to go for a while once I start. Okay. So like, I'll, I'll just say like, you're right. Um, And I think that the big thing here is like, sure, they'll stay afloat if with after the trade, just because you're always going to stay afloat with Joel, you'll win enough games against bad teams to do that. Um, But the underlying issue is like, number one, the title window might have already closed. We, We don't know that it hasn't yet, but we're assuming it's alive still. You can still at least sell that hope. With you know, with you know, the idea like, hey, they, they, they the crazier things have happened, and they can still do it. Um, if you sell Ben for like pennies on the dollar, um, you can't sell that anymore because you're because because everyone knows the ceiling is basically mediocrity. Um, so you're stuck. Like you're 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 essentially stuck. Um, and yeah, that you're right. The only way that this thing ends is they like luck into a trade request from from Damian or from Bradley Beal and they 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 end up pulling that out in which case like Daryl Moore gets executive of the year no no questions asked <laughs> uh, and, or they end up getting you know one of those picks or one of those teams like Minnesota or or whatever and then you know the, then it's over you're done um i will say this though i think there's an increasingly likely chance that they're continuing to have conversations with like Minnesota because they want to continue to like grow that relationship in the, in, in the event that they need a third team to get involved for young players or picks, in which case then like, okay, so-and-so doesn't want Ben, but Minnesota does let's trade him to Minnesota, get like Rubio and like a bunch of picks and this young guy and that young guy back flip them to X, Y, Z Portland or Washington, whatever. Um, and then that's how you end up getting your guy. Because you could you could certainly see them opt for uh, one of those teams that has a star that wants out, but you could certainly see them opt for a full rebuild like Houston did. Yeah, Austin, you nailed it for me as far as what the Sixers need 
if they're going to be patient, which is you just need to wait for you know one of these guys to say they want out because that's the thing is people have been speculating about these guys for so long, but they continue to at least you know publicly insist that they want to stay where they are. But we we know that you know the the, the kettle is boiling in in both Portland and in D.C. at this point, so. I don't think it's a matter of having to wait out, you know, four years of this Ben Simmons contract. But I think ultimately, if you do have to wait through October and November, that that that's something you have to do. That you can't sell him for less because you just have to move him. Because yes, ultimately the Sixers do have the leverage. The 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 counter, the the leverage Ben Simmons has has nothing to do with Ben Simmons. The 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 only leverage I find for them is we've been talking about the title when the potential being closed and, and you may very well be right, but just as far as Joel Embiid's window and you know how short that could potentially be like wasting any amount of time of his prime of the peak of him right now feels terrible. And Ben Simmons not being available and not being turned into anything else and just being a, a zero factor is the worst case for this team because then you're just wasting the prime of the best player you've had since Allen Iverson, which sucks so much. But ultimately, the idea here is to win a title. The thing that brings me comfort, and it's something that Marty Teller has said on this podcast several times over, and it's, and, and it's something that I have been been working on figuring out how, how to put into my own words here to kind of piggyback off of. Um, Marty did mention, uh, to your point, Austin, which I, I love that you had too, the idea of Ben may not necessarily be directly traded for that big name, that you may end up using him to acquire more ammunition to go and yeah. make the deal. And whether it is a straight-up you know, one-for-one-ish kind of deal or it is a, a collection of assets to then turn into a, another star, the the thing for me... And and maybe it's you know false hope is that like Daryl Morey knew the situation he was walking into. Oh, it, sure. it, it's not like the waters have always been smooth here with Ben Simmons. So not that you know obviously Doc as soon as Doc came in he said hey I want a chance to work with these guys he got that chance and I think his comments when it all ended made it very clear that he had had enough of it but he wanted his shot to do it he got it. And I think Maury said the same thing. But Maury knew the opportunity he had. He knew the situation he was coming into. And I think that he definitely, you know, has been preparing for this for quite some time. So I don't think at any point, you know, like, he knew that this could be the worst-case scenario. And I don't think that that he's going to let that happen. Um, it's not going to go well for him. It's not going to go well for anybody uh, for, for them to do that. So even though it may be frustrating and it may create a lot of media narratives and yeah, it may create for a very uh, bumpy October and November. I I think that they will hold on him if they have to. I I truly believe it that if push comes to shove that they will go out opening night without him, but he will be on the roster and, and they will make them sweat it out. And for Ben Simmons camp, if, if, if you have places you want to play and you're trying to convince them to make the deal, you not playing is not going to help them, you know, start yep. start putting chips on the table to me. Um, at this point, like, he really kind of does need to be in rehabilitation mode. And when it seemed like things were kind of smoothing over, I had come around to the idea of him playing to start the season, and I was fine with it. And not in a sense that I said, oh, like, great, run it back and let's try to make a title run again. But at least, hey, like, let's 
pad our stats, let's win regular season games, and then let's get teams chomping at the bit and then get you into a situation that you want. You could have definitely done that. It sounds like now that's probably not a possibility, but that definitely seemed like it, it was a reality that could have existed. I, I don't believe it will now. And I want to read this to you guys and then kind of get your thoughts on this. Kyle Newbeck had an article today for Philly Voice, and I I, I could not word anything better in my life if I tried. Um, I, 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 I love Kyle's work so much. but He's like a wordsmith. It's yeah, he, he, he talked about the way that, that Simmons' team has handled this whole thing, and, and I really do think that they manipulated this situation better than anybody could have the way that this has gone because I'll read his quote first. Quote, had Simmons or his team made their intent clear in the hours and days following his seven his seven game disaster class, the failure of his relationship with the team would have fallen squarely on his shoulders in the court of public opinion. Wounds of playoff defeat too fresh. Drip feeding the news over months has allowed for his most strident defenders, low in count and volume in late June, to discover their voices again. First, he and his agent were simply discussing his future in Philadelphia. Then relationships with key members were reported as fractured and so forth until we reached today, with Simmons allegedly willing to no-show upcoming team activities and resistant to destinations beyond a select group in California. Which, to be fair, after that article was written, there were then reports that Ben is open to going anywhere because I think that his camp realized that trying to be too picky with the destination was also going to hurt his value. But the, the, the spark notes on that quote to me is... If he would have came out and said, I need out of here right after the playoffs, he would have gotten scrutinized by everybody. There would be no opposite side of the aisle to that. But his team played it so well to just say, hey, like, we're not sure about this. Things are up in the air. And in the same way we've talked about, there were were times where it seemed like everything was going to resolve itself and they would show up. And now you get to this point and they waited long enough to make it seem like, hey, we tried and we wanted to be civil, but... The Sixers have left us no choice but to say this, and it's just, it's a, it's a PR masterclass in my opinion uh, from his team to try and you know save his image, so to speak, and and not have him look like a diva forcing his way out. Uh, awesome. What what do you think about the the way that this has unfolded and the way that you know Clutch Sports and and Rich Paul have handled this? Um, I think the age of like social media probably made this a little bit more predictable of an app of, of a way of, of, of work for them. Like, I think this was sort of something that perhaps wasn't written on at the time, but looking back on it, you're like, yeah, I can see this. This was, this, this is something that I would not just happened. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, or that, that they, that Kyle opposed that, that theorem, which I think is an excellent one. One problem with it though, um, to assume that that would work to, to just that level and be so be perfect is, and a misunderstanding of exactly what the Philly fans went through <laughs> this, this with this loss. Um, th- th- doesn't matter how long you wait; they're not going to forget about it. It's still it's it's going to be it is seared into the minds of of the fan base and the players alike. No matter how much they try to like, well, in Philadelphia out, specifically, I agree with you. But I think nationally, I think even oh. I think I think when this all happened, that nationally there was a spotlight on him. That has definitely gone away. That that now you know if he goes to another market, I don't think they're going to look back and and really care about that. Where I, I think they would have had this been the narrative from the jump. Yeah, which by the way, which is is twofold because I think if the Sixers 
traded him immediately, the wound would have been fresh. People would have been like, I don't know about this guy. Whereas give a couple True. months to, 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 to let, to let it burn off. And you know, mm-hmm. it suddenly it's like, ah, well, it's definitely fair. Know, yeah. It is this, 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 and this, whatever. Um, but yeah, I think it's an excellently worded quote. And I think he, as much like you can hate Rich Paul, and I, I personally am not a fan of the guy. I mean, um, I think it is a brilliant. It's a, it's a job well done. I will say this: if you want to, if you want to see just how little leverage they're aware that the, or if you want to see how aware they are, they have no leverage here because of the number of years left on the deal. Look at the Tyrese Maxey report from 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 Jason Dumas. Um, he it, he literally pawned his own client to. Try <laughs> Build leverage against Ben, like, or to build, to build leverage in the Ben trade. He literally was like, "Well, if you don't do this, I'm pulling my guy out of the Philly. Like, you, those charity events, forget them. It's over. Um, the, the future with Philly, forget it. None of my clients are playing in Philly." Um, well, do you do you do you believe that? No, I, I I think the second that that you do that is when your client should be firing you because he doesn't have. He doesn't have you know his smaller level clients best interest at heart. He's only, he's only focused on the big guys. If I'm Tyrese Maxey, I see that report. I ask my agent about it first, and then if it's true, I don't even care enough to even listen to an apology. I'm firing you because you don't care about me. You care about your the, the biggest names. Right. Well, that's that, my that, concern. Is I, I mean I don't I don't believe that that was ever a real thing. It, so yeah, like, and I, I, mean, I don't want to like, put that like, on Rich Paul. I don't think he yeah. ever said that. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not going to, I don't want to source guess because it's just, it's not a good practice. Sure. No, but I, I'm doing it. You I, don't have to. Yeah. Um, I would say that he walked it back today, which I thought was inevitable and to some, some extent. Um, but I also think that like, that's, a, that, that threat is, is a threat that is, you know, it's scary to think about. Like would Rich Paul's clients in the future really not want to come here? Like how many years would we have to like be thinking about this again for if you want a, a, a clutch client, you're just going to have to work a little harder to get them in the future. Like, if anything, that's what's going to come down to. Because in the end, money wins all here. Uh-huh. And, and and if they like, if they like, if they vibe with Philly, if they like the presentation they're given when you pitch to them, they're going to want to go to Philly. And if Rich Paul is saying, "Nah, I don't, I, it's not like that. It's not that isn't the place for you," then you might have another Nerland situation where he's getting sued. So, I think ultimately. Um, that's a lot of smoke on their end, and I mean, I'm, I'm sure in the short term, maybe there are some repercussions there. Um, but ultimately, if if that's the only leverage you have, if you're the Sixers, regardless of what report comes out, you're still in the driver's seat because you still have him for four more years, and he's not going to sit for four years. He doesn't want to be here for four more years dealing with this. Yeah, and th- this isn't a Sam Hankey situation. Like, I understand that maybe this could cause some a little bit of a rift with the the agency in general, but let's not get it twisted. Like you said, money wins out. Ben has gotten paid here. It's not like they didn't take care of him with the contract. Tyrese will, will likely get paid. You know, clutch guys have gotten paid. And here's the thing. I know that the city has a bad taste in its mouth from a lot of, you know, real close calls with getting big time free agents who have decided to go elsewhere. Doesn't change the fact that this is a major market that spends money that clients can thrive in. So I don't think that you really ever have to worry about that kind of thing. Yeah, Ben's going to leave and and he's not happy, but I, I don't think that that's ultimately going to really impact you in the future struggling to to really do anything with clutch sports. Yeah, like you said, maybe you have to work a little bit harder. Maybe you have to rebuild the relationship a little bit. But hey, you have that, that shoe in already with Tyrese Maxey. So, 
you know, as long as long as you treat him right and keep him on the path he's going, I'm sure that that that's not really that big of a deal. At the end of the day, Steve, Steve, what do you what do you make of all this? So one thing that I um, about Ben Simmons, I'm really disappointed in, and I, I know people probably don't care, but I really wish he played in the Olympics, man, because obviously for the most part it's going to be against lesser competition, but that was a good chance to be like, hey. All these videos you've been seeing me posting up all summer, I'm, you know, it's you're going to see proof of that now. Um, I would have loved to, you know, for him to, to to show that, you know, he's still got it, he's willing to improve. But now, Kyle's article kind of makes you wonder. I wonder if there's maybe a little more to that that maybe they kept them out of that because of whatever smoke they want to blow or whatever they think is going to work as far as trying to get them out of Philly sooner rather than later. Um, so, uh, so, I mean, that's, I mean, that's really the, the only thing, you know, I, I have that there. Well, what, so what do you think about the, the trade value? Do you think that right now it, it, as of, because of all of today's and yesterday's reports that it's hurt the value significantly, or do you think it kind of still is what it has been, which is obviously, you know, lower than we'd like, but at the end of the day, he's still a, a young cost controlled, all pro. Oh yeah, no, I I agree with you guys. It, it hasn't really changed the value, and to you know Austin's point earlier, I mean maybe he'll sit out first week or two of training camp, but you know we always have a way of finding out how these things work. When a trade actually comes into fruition, it always seems to come kind of out of nowhere, and before you know it, the trade goes through. And I feel like sometimes the the buildup kind of happens like that it just takes for him to play a couple of games. And, you know, maybe before any of these teams, with the exception of say in Minnesota, they maybe want to see him, even if it's just first three, four or five games of the season, just, you know, him kind of playing better than he did in the playoffs. I think they just need to see that little, you know, well, right, that he, little bump, but he's threatening to not play now. So so let me let yeah. me ask each of you this. So I don't think I, I don't think he's gonna you know maybe he'll miss all of training camp. But I think at some point he's gonna have to play because that's okay, well, his that, only ticket that, out here. That's my question to each of you. He's only gonna play away games. You know that. <laughs> so so yeah, I mean, see, you basically, but Steve, do you think that Ben Simmons plays a single minute in a Sixers uniform this season? Ultimately, I I don't think so, but it wouldn't surprise me. Austin, yeah, I agree. I agree with that. I don't think he does. I, I really don't think he does. And I, I ultimately, if I have to say, I, I think he's on the roster opening night and doesn't play. And it and it's going to be really annoying. But um, so uh, of of all the non Dame and Beal locations, obviously it sounds like we all really aren't interested in anything with Minnesota. Um, I've heard. Sacramento reports there there were whispers about Cleveland for a while maybe something to do with either Garland or Sexton or, or something along those lines um, of those kind of like secondary locations and let let's forget about the idea of being able to acquire Beal or or Lillard give me like give me the team that you think can actually give us a package that you know is not the worst case scenario but we at least are still, you know, a top three East team with mild title aspirations. Awesome. We'll start with you. Pacers offer the original offer of, of Brogdon and picks. Okay. I, I didn't like it at first, 
but as the days go on, I think to myself, like, yeah, the downtrack, like the detractors are his health has been an issue, and then also he's older. But like, he's everything that Ben isn't in the half court, and he's probably, you know, he's he's a pretty good defender as a guard. So I think if you're looking into like, if, if there's a player that minimize that you you're still losing the deal in essence, but right, you're minimizing the difference of of of, of play. I think Brogdon would be that guy. Steve. So Dan, we we we've talked about this before. For me, I I, I think a package involving Ben Simmons to the Warriors, give me Clay Thompson, doesn't happen. There's no way that they're going to you know give up on him. But you can also kind of talk yourself in the idea. Well, his injury, you know, the past couple seasons, and you know maybe Golden State has a change of heart and maybe they have to, you know, give up some offense to get some defense, but, um, and, you know, maybe they thirst, you know, maybe not Wiseman, but, you know, one of their other younger players. And, um, but I, I think that's kind of outside of, uh, it's hard, man, outside of Beal or Dame, I, it's really difficult to get someone who's going to provide you what Ben doesn't. And I, I think maybe, you know, Clay Thompson deal gets that, you sign. I sign up for that today. I think that's way too too hopeful. I, I would. I would oh, take yeah. that. I would take that immediately. I don't think there's any chance that that happens. Um, one, one that I, I think I agree with you, Austin. Even though I think that because they already kind of passed on, I had the feeling it doesn't really get revisited. But I guess it could. One that I heard, and it's a player that I absolutely freaking hate. Um, and and I don't think that there's too much to it. And I also really don't think that they're trading him within the East, which I guess also would negate the the Brogdon idea. But one one thing I heard was Pascal Siakam. Ooh, and I hate yeah, Pascal I like Siakam so much. I think I think he's like he's basically like Tobias Harris, but with the All Star appearance. <laughs> I mean, I think Tobias. <laughs> I think Tobias is better than Pascal Siakam. Uh, but, wow. But yeah, I mean, I I, I get it. I, I I don't disagree with you at all. Um, he's obviously like younger and a little more like I guess flashy, but he's less efficient. He I don't I think his shots kind of broken, um, and I just really don't want another shooting project. Like so you got to get a shooter for him. If you're going to lose the deal, which you are, you at least have to make up for it with fit. And I think that's kind of your point with Brogdon is you offset the fact that you lose the talent part of the trade with the fact that Brogdon would fit so well into what we already have here that you could plug him right in and he can play point guard defense. He can initiate an offense. He can shoot. He can actually drive a little bit too. Like he has everything he's not really elite at any of it but he's pretty good at all of it so it it, it definitely makes the the general team chemistry work a lot even though he's not the prospect that ben is so i think that's something you have to be able to offset let me ask you guys something a slight slightly different uh scenario let's say we land beal or, or someone other than dame i've been hearing a lot of hypotheticals as far as tobias or cj mccollum how would you guys feel about that? Well, if, if we obviously that's not happening if we get Dame, but yeah, you know, I mean if you if get Beal, you're not doing it either. So I think you, you take both of them out. Uh, I, with them. I don't want to trade Tobias Harris. Well, yeah, I mean, I, so number one, I'm like very far, I'm like very far away from the trade Tobias Harris train because I think he's like the second. He, he'll receive the flack when Ben's gone. So I mean, he's next in line, I'm sure. Yeah, um, but. Yeah. Um, 
number one, like really efficient scorer, underrated rebounder, underrated defender, mm-hmm. um, made strides as a playmaker, even though he's still not much of a playmaker. Yeah. I just don't think he's part of the problem. And I, I think it's important to maintain some continuity and uh, with, 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 around Embiid, even if it's like, you know, just, just Tobias, like, even if it's Tobias and Seth and Danny, the guys had so many reiteration, iterations of this team in his career. It, it you need continuity at some point. And I, and I think yeah. rid of two like high level starters would, 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 would not be, would be probably do more harm than good. One thing I could see like in a year from now, let's say they do get the, they, they get, they get wall or not, not wall, they get Beal or they get, um or they get the Dame. Maybe Daryl, another year is off of Tobias's contract. Um, maybe the Bulls are going in like a different direction and they don't want to max out Zach Levine. Maybe, maybe, maybe that becomes a, a, a feasible idea. Or if not that, maybe you, uh, you trade Tobias Harris for expirings and then you, you, you use that money in free agency to go get Zach Levine. So you're backwards than like Dame and Zach Levine. Yeah. I disappointed in myself not thinking of a Zach before Clay Thompson. <laughs> um, I, I I agree. Also, I don't think you do you don't do the moves that that like consecutively or that you know that uh, chronologically. But yeah, the the Ben trade could end up setting up you know a, a change in the future for Tobias Harris. Uh, the the one thing um, that I love is yeah, I think Tobias and Joao have a really good relationship, and I think that that was. If you didn't already think so, you have to look to the fact that Danny Green came back, and his biggest thing was he said that Joel and Tobias recruited him back, and it seemed like they did that together. So it was interesting that you know when you were, when you look at the big three of this team currently, and you say, oh well, those two were the guys that went and got Danny. Obviously, you know that there's a rift between Ben and the team, but it was nice to see even through all that, and even with the upsetting playoff results that still Joel and Tobias together were like, Hey, like we got to get these guys back here and try and try and keep this thing going. So um, I think that speaks to the relationship they have. And, and I agree. I don't think that Tobias is the problem for the team or for Embiid or, or any of those things in general. So um, while the Ben move may make you consider how that fit works, it, it, there's too many moving parts to, to really figure that out until you actually know what the Ben deal is. Yeah. Like, so I, I agree with everything you're saying, and people were like, "Well, Tobias only takes three or whatever threes per, per game, and you need a higher volume out there." It doesn't matter how many he takes if a defender has to respect him as a shooter. If he throws a pump fake and he ca- when he catches the ball and it gets a defender to like to not like front off Embiid, he's doing his job anyway, regardless of volume. So as long as he is like, efficiently efficiently shooting the ball, doesn't matter what his what his attempts are. Um, and so like, people who pose that reason for wanting to get off Tobias Harris is he doesn't shoot enough threes. I think that's Bush league because you're, def- you're going to, you're going to, you're going to give him, you know, respect as a shooter anyway, even if he doesn't shoot it at a, at a high volume. Yeah. He, he definitely has his respect as a shooter because he's for the last, basically so his whole time year, but especially this past season, he was like one of the best, uh, like most efficient and successful drivers in the yep. league, and he's not doing that with speed and athleticism. We all know that. So he's doing that because you have to respect the shot because you can't play off of him because he will shoot it and he will make it. Like he he's earned that, and his efficiency speaks for that. So while yeah, you may be unhappy with the volume, you definitely can't be upset with the way that he uses the gravity that he creates. And I think that's a really great point. 
the yeah. the last thing I have, which is still kind of part of all this, was just you know a- after all this, after the Newbeck article, after all the reports, you know, unclarifying the situation and clarifying the situation uh, via Rich Paul and Clutch Sports, Joel Embiid came on Twitter and kind of started getting involved. Which last night he was kind of just trolling and tweeting about <laughs> soccer. Uh, screwing with everybody, which, you know, even though I, I hate this team right now and I hate everything happening, I couldn't help myself but laugh at because I love him so much and will we'll never uh, be upset for his personality shining through. He he really was, was way uh, more public about everything than, than I really thought that he would ever be, and he's generally been pretty public. But here's here's a few of the tweets he had today. Um there was there was a, a report again, you know, the eight hundred thousandth time we've heard this in in five years now, uh, that the Sixers now have to choose between Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, which isn't even uh, no one could actually confirm that because clearly, like they've already chosen Joel Embiid. Uh, it's been made very very clear for a long time. But regardless, Joel Embiid quote tweeted this and said, "Quote sources, trust me, bro. Stop using my name to push people's agendas. I love and hate drama. I love playing with Ben. Stats don't lie. He's an amazing player." And we all didn't get the job done. It's on me personally. I hope everyone is back because we know we're good enough to win. He said, which by the way, like credit to Joe for just being an ultimate pros pro. Yep. Like, yep. And and that's what I mean is you saw, you've seen the growth in him on and off the court in the last, you know, year, year and a half. Um, you know, he, like we we all we can go back to that Toronto series and and how distraught he was, and and that really seemed like that was the breaking point for him and saying like I got to get this together. And then the next year, obviously, didn't really work out the way he wanted to. But then he came back this year, and and honestly, what was the league MVP? Uh, he went on to say, "I haven't forgotten, but two years ago, I got booed. People in Philly wanted me to be traded. I even shushed them. Only the real ones didn't. But I just put put the work in that off season to be better." Cause I knew I wasn't playing up to my potential Philly fans. Y'all also got to be better. And then he said, from my own experience, y'all have no idea how much this media makes up stuff for followers and shame on you for believing them. So there's a lot of layers to some of this, some of this. He, he, he attacks, not, not attacks, but addresses Philly fans, which, you know, there's been a lot of happening over the last couple of months. Danny green did. So Joel Embiid is doing so, uh, you know, not not tied to Philadelphia, but there's the whole Mets drama going on right now with them giving fans thumbs down, <laughs> which has still sparked a whole ton of Philly discussion because we, we can't help ourselves. Um, he's attacking the media here a little bit. He's trying to salvage a relationship with Ben. Uh, there's a whole lot here. So, you know, Austin, just give me any, you know, general takeaways, I guess, like any kind of, you know, final thoughts too on this whole thing. Um, in, in what you what you're taking from Joel here, you know, at, at what's good, what's bad, what what you kind of believe, what you agree with, anything like that. So I appreciate the segue because this is exactly what my my column is going to be on Wonderful. today tonight. Um, so I want to be careful with how I word this because this is not me saying that like Joel's right, Philly fans are to blame. Like yeah, rah rah. That's not me. Like Ben, Ben is a hundred percent at fault for this, for what's going on here. He all he had to do is just have an have a normal uh, uh, arc of development for his career and get marginally better every year, and this wouldn't have been an issue. Um, he didn't do his job flat out. That's him. That's on the previous regime that enabled him to be like that. Um, but when Joel isn't the first Sixer in the current era to make these remarks. In fact, as you mentioned, mentioned, Danny Green mentioned it too. 
And so what I take from that is instead of like saying we're the fans, we buy season tickets, we buy paraphernalia. That guy tweeted that under Joe's tweet today. It was like the most obnoxious thing ever oh to God. reply that yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, so I roasted him. Like it's it's, it's yeah. basically like it's implied ownership. Like you're basically saying you own you 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 have an ownership stake in this human being, which is also false, also incorrect because the TV deals pay and a ridiculous amount mm-hmm. more than anything that they get from the Thank paraphernalia you. or tickets, whatever. Um, so they're trying to tell you something here and it isn't just about the booze. It's not, it is every fan base is going to boo. Booing is an appropriate expression of dismay and frustration when your team is underperforming. That's fine. What you need to understand and what the fans need to understand is that this is an application of things that go well beyond booing. This is the DMs that players get on social media. This is the uh, the, the 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 bombardment, the bombarding of, of of comments, calling them clowns and bums and this and that. And at a time where mental health and embracing humanity and all is so prevalent in our in our modern society, um, I would think people would be more understanding that just because these guys make hundreds of millions of dollars doesn't make them any less human. And they still have emotions. They still have feelings. They still understand that they're not playing well enough and they don't need a bu- like thousands of fans swarming them when they're away from the court, telling them that they suck, that they're this and they're that. And when you have that, and if you're someone who has, you know, a fret, maybe a, a mentality that, that, that needs some, some strengthening to be careful with words um that can be overwhelming it can it can you know when you go through those moments of anxiety and mental health stuff you you feel like you can't breathe and you're like compressed and you just want to like lay there um and so i i think the misunderstanding is that it isn't that it's a it's the booing is the problem everyone boos Uh, the the failure fans are not any different in that in that, that aspect but i can understand why a player would say like you know, I don't want to go to Philly. I don't want to be here because I can't get away from any of this when I'm playing badly because they're going to be constantly there reminding me everything I post on social media, everything, every, every, you know, everything that I, that I hear on the radio about myself is going to be ugly. It's, it's magnified in this market. And so rather than cat and punishing and, and embarrassing the Philly fans and being unappreciative of their support when it does happen, take it as an, as a message of like, okay, maybe this is why, we have to act sometimes act like a small market team in a big market because people are put off by the fact that like if we're if, if I'm not playing well for a period of time, I'm gonna hear I'm not gonna be able to get away from it. I'm not gonna be able to not think about it. And sure, like if you're if you're if you're gonna be that put off by a fan base, then maybe you're not that strong of a uh, maybe 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 you know you're not worth it anyway. But if the goal is to win championships, you want the stars in the NBA. You need the stars to win championships. So if you want to maximize your chances at stars, you should be doing, you, you shouldn't be letting these little slips in the crack be the reason why you don't get them. And I think if the goal is rings, you shouldn't you be doing everything to maximize your chances of getting those stars. Right. Agreed. So that's kind of, that's sort of like where I said, I don't think it's on the fans to be better per se, but I think it, I think there does need to be a, a degree of understanding that maybe we need to meet halfway. Steve? Well, I have a completely uh, different direction than what Austin went in. And Austin, everything you said was, you know, very well put. 
I definitely agree with you as far as, you know, fans maybe, as far as you said, acting like a small market team and meeting halfway, very, very good points. Um, and yes, all of Ben Simmons' issues are self-inflicted wounds. I mean, we've talked about on this podcast, his best year was his rookie year and had an, an almost, you know, slightly declined each passing year. Um, but one thing out of all of this is just, stands out to me is how fucking smart Joel Embiid is, man. I mean, he, when he talks shit, it's, you know, always going to be an opposing player, which is fine because fans are going to eat that up and it's perfectly, you know, that's fine to, you know, talk shit on the opposing team, you know, and he's not going to say that about Simmons, at least until, you know, after he's traded. But I think Joel is also being smart in a political sense, if you will, in that if he starts, you know, airing dirty laundry, you know, sour grapes, this, uh, you know, woe is me. I mean, someone of Dame's caliber isn't going to want to come here. And that's exactly where here. I was going with it. I'm so glad you said yeah. that. And he's here for the next, you know, six years. This is Joel's team. You know, he's going to be here longer, uh, you know, probably way past Doc and Daryl. This is his team. It, it's already as much as his team as it is Allen Iverson's. And, you know, maybe the one thing that AI didn't do any favors for himself is just, like, being that guy that players want to play with, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, Embiid is just setting, like, you know, he's accepted that responsibility already. But I think it's, you know... It speaks to his maturity. This is his team, his town. You know, he'll let, you know, the powers that be deal with Ben Simmons. And I think he's just already focused on, I got to do what I got to, you know, say what I got to say, do what I got to do to get the next guy here. Yeah. Yeah. Everything he said, it, it really doesn't change anything on my feelings for Ben Simmons. I really don't have an opinion on fans. Fans are going to be fans. I agree that, you know, the players are human and and they deserve to be treated with respect. But, but like, I think we all kind of agree, like fans booing and, you know, expressing uh, respectively their displeasure with performance, especially the performances we've been getting, which have been kind of like pretty freak situations time and time again, there's going to be frustration. That's understandable. So I'm, I'm not going to bash fans, but I'm not going to encourage disrespecting players and, taking unreasonable frustrations out on them in inappropriate ways. But my takeaway from this is the same as you, Steve. All of this just leads me to be even more um, enamored with Joel Embiid, with his maturity, with his leadership, stuff that we, we really wanted to see from him that I think this past season he took a huge jump in already. He's doing that again. And I I don't buy – I still don't really buy players – not wanting to come here because of fans or mentality and stuff like that. Like, I don't, I don't think people care as much about that as some of these guys make it out. Like I don't like Danny green came here. He knew what it was before he got here. It's much more frustrating once you're here and dealing with it, but it didn't stop him from coming and it didn't stop him from resigning. So I think that when, when you hear those quotes from those guys, it's more so they're frustrated in the moment too, which is the same thing that fans do. So everybody has, those moments and and like everything, it, it's a middle ground. And like Austin said, you know, meeting halfway. To me, it's it's less about like fans meeting these players halfway, and it's about just understanding that 
you know, all these quotes coming, whether it be after a, a difficult playoff run, whether it be amidst trade rumors of a franchise player, it's like people get emotionally, we're emotionally invested in these things and things come out the wrong way sometimes. I mean, hell, it's why we took two months off from this podcast because I didn't want to be doing episodes where I, I wasn't emotionally level, I wasn't in the right place, and we start saying things that we don't really want to say, uh, whatever they are. So I wanted I wanted us to get back, get right, and and really kind of have a level head approaching these kinds of things and be able to have a good conversation about it, which I, I think t- tonight has been an absolutely incredible conversation about it all. So when I look at the situation with Ben, when I look at the situation with the fans, when I look at this market, I think that the the most important variable here is your point, Steve, is that I think that for all the good and all the bad, I think the the most important factor for, for any relevant player coming here right now is going to be to play with Joel Embiid. And for him to be doing all the right things both on and off the court, I think is more important than anything else. I think it, it, it dominates over an, an annoying fan base. I think it dominates over... You know, a, a a lackluster ownership group. I think it 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 takes precedent over, you know, not not the greatest probable, uh, you know, arena or or accommodations there. Obviously, the practice facility is new and is wonderful by all accounts, and 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 the players seem very happy with that part of it. But you Confirm, know, it's a very nice they, they they don't they don't own the center. They they don't. They're kind of they've. It's always been said that they're kind of second fiddle to the Flyers in there. So there, there's things to that, but none of those things really matter as much as getting the come and play with Joel Embiid. And I think that that's the most important thing in regards to moving Ben, in regards to figuring out your assets, in regards to if if there ends up being a Tobias deal down the line is just. You know, you, you've got to have guys that want to come here and play with him, and I think he's doing everything he can to make that be the case, and you can't ask for anything else. So the fact that people were, were taking any of his quotes any bit the wrong way is the thing that, that made me the, the most angry because you don't pay his salary. You have nothing to do with him. Uh, like I put it out there, I'm going on year six of season tickets. I'm pretty sure the entire amount I've paid for six years does not equal a Joel Embiid game check. I'm not paying any of their salaries. And even if I was, that's not how it works. Austin, you absolutely nailed it. The TV deal is the biggest one. And I hate to break it to you, but it's, it's not even the T the local TV deal. You're not paying their salaries by watching the games that are on NBC sports, Philadelphia. They're getting their money from ESPN. They're getting their money from the Walt Disney corporation. Like that's where their paychecks come from that. That's really the end all be yeah. all at this point. Really, their like endorsement deals are probably even bigger than what they get on the game to game right. basis. So, so it's it's laughable. And even if it was the case, it's a completely disrespectful and and knuckleheaded way to think about anything. Uh, I saw people saying, which like again, if you've worked in retail, unfortunately, it's actually a pretty bad comparison. But I've heard people saying, oh, you know, you don't go in the Target and be like, oh, I pay your salary, so do this. And it's like, well, if, you, if you've worked at those places, people do actually do that because people are shit, but that's the problem is yep. that people are shit. It's not the basis <laughs> of the argument. It's, it's, the, yeah. it's the fact that, that people are just kind of shit. Uh, nobody who listens and, to this, obviously. but Yeah, and like, and like in retail, you have that customer who's like, you know, I'm not coming here anymore. And like, you're like, great, fine. Right. Yeah, great. Like, yeah, we're going to be fans. fine. Like, Same thing. Every every yeah. single team in this city, every season gets all these, I'm not watching this crap anymore. And it's like, dude, they, no one's going to miss you. Yeah. yeah. These teams will yeah, be just like, fine. I think like, my biggest issue with that whole thing was just like, it basically implies that there is 
ownership of the player, mm-hmm. which to me, I think is a bigger societal issue well, than yeah. anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a different podcast. <laughs> for, uh, yeah. That's a whole different issue. I, 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 one thing I did want to make is like, I, I didn't mean that like, it's the reason people don't come to Philly that I think it certainly can be a swing reason. Oh yeah. I, yeah. I didn't, I, I don't think you were saying that. And if, and if I made that, uh, that, that correlation, I definitely didn't mean to, but I, I don't think you were saying that, but it's definitely been mentioned on social media yeah. and it definitely seemed like, you know, Danny Green's comments specifically almost seemed like they were kind of gearing toward that. And, and I just absolutely don't think that that that's really the case at all. And, uh, like if if you're if you ever enter the toxic realm of any Sixers Facebook groups, uh, you will routinely see, you will routinely see every day that nobody wants to come here because of the fans, and it's just it's not how anything works. But all right, uh, we're we are approaching two hours. This has been an an incredible conversation, uh, Austin. Thank you so much for joining us. Is there is there anything you want to plug uh, or anything? I know you mentioned that you have an article that should be out. Um, so, you know, time's yours here. If, if there's anything you want to mention or discuss, um, I hope Dan's list. I hope your guys listeners don't not listen because they hate the article. Cause I don't think it's going to be well received, but I think it's going to be a necessary, uh, reflection into what Danny and Joel are trying to say. Cause I do think that that matters more than anyone wants, you know, more than a lot of people give them credit for, but, uh, yeah, that'll be out tonight. Uh, it's a it's a fascinating time to cover this basketball team, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, I I honestly I I don't envy it at this point. I I'm I I know you've wanted this, so I'm happy for you. And again, uh, you you do a great job. Um, you've come a long way, so it's awesome. But I don't envy it at this point at all. Uh, I I really don't want to fucking do this uh, myself, <laughs> and I don't do nearly nearly as much as you have to do. Um, and I'm, and I'm so out right now, but, but this was fun. This really made me feel like, like I'm back in on it. And, uh, while I'm super geared up for football in a week, um, we're less than two months from basketball being back as well. And honestly, that's like the best time of the year where we're in mid season football and we're getting the beginning of the NBA and, and I'm just absolutely thriving. So I can't wait for it. Uh, Steve, before we go, any, any final thoughts? Yep, uh, 51 days to opening night. We play the Nets and 11 days to Eagles football. Um, I'm waiting for it. And, you know, just be nice to the players. Be nice to your retail workers, everyone. Just please be nice. We, we need more of that. Positive right. vibes only, baby. PVO. Positive uh, vibes. Steve, yeah. Steve, and again, Austin, congratulations, bro. Thank you. I appreciate that. Steve, appreciate what's, that. Your, what's your Eagles uh, record prediction? Real quick, Ooh. last thing. I, I, I think. Wait, I have to do the math. There's 17 games. To, yeah, so I think we're gonna be seven and nine. Seven and ten. We're seven and ten. Yeah. <laughs> he took all the time to get the math yeah, that's right. right. That's right. I think they're gonna be better. People think they are. Yeah, I think I think Vegas has them at six and a half. So that that would be right at the over. So. Yeah, I, I'm I'm there with you. I I think that seven. I I think seven and ten's like the floor. Like I think they're good enough to win a few of those games. Um, I don't think they could be much better than than eight and nine. But seven and ten's probably where I would sit on it too. So we're all there, dude. I, I've been saying forever. Um, you know, I I just want them to be fun. I just want Jalen Hurts to look good and be entertaining. I don't need them to be a playoff team or anything. I just want to see that that he grows. I just want to see him have success and honestly I'll, I'll kind of take everything else i don't i don't want to see a tie to, to cleveland or, or cincinnati or whoever the fuck it was 
Um, I, I don't want to get blown out by the Cowboys in either game. Like, like little again, we talked about little victories earlier. Little things, man. If we lose some games, we lose some games. But uh, don't make me turn it off at halftime. Um, and and please don't make me watch Gardner Minshew or Joe Flacco. That's pretty and much don't it. fucking trade for Deshaun Watson. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That that is ultimately most important. You're correct. Thank you. All right, Austin. Thanks again for coming on. Again, you can follow him on Twitter at NBA Krell, Sixers beat reporter for the Painted Lines. Uh, we'll have an article out. We'll make sure to retweet that and everything once it's out as well. Uh, thanks, sure. Austin. Make sure you guys check out DraftKings Sportsbook. Use promo code THPN to get your exclusive NFL offer bet on any week one game and receive up to $200 in free bets in site credit. All you have to do is bet $1 on any week one game. Use promo code THPN. That'll do it for us. Uh, I don't know if we're going to be back to weekly quite yet. Um, I think with how much we did tonight, we probably can go another you know week or two uh, before anything comes up. But probably at no later than the beginning of October, we'll be back to at least once a week getting geared up for the season and everything. So make sure that you are subscribed. If you use Apple podcasts, uh, give us a five-star rating review is greatly appreciated. Any other news events, info, once we hopefully can get back to doing breweries and stuff, go to processpotables.com for everything you need. Thanks. Take care and trust the podcast.